It's not getting it, getting it. That's treasonous. And no, I agree. I, I just, she should be hung from a tree, which I, that's the only only crime in the Constitution that is defined is treason. Just treason. And that actually calls for being hung. <laughs> <laughs> I just know. Yeah. I, 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 I tend to learn a long time ago just to... I'm just just got to sit back and let things shake out a little bit for a while. I shake. You've got to let it shake out for a while. And then, like I said, he blew the immigration deal. Yeah, I'm sure. I wrote I'm, Mary Sanchez about that the I'm, other day. I'm sure he's going to uh, uh, do another executive order and an amended. He one. said he would have one this week that complied with, strangely, that complied with the Ninth Circuit's uh, promise with the first one, yeah. which I think is hilarious. I'm like, so you're admitting that you put forth a shit ass bill that <laughs> is surviving? Like, and you know who actually wrote it? Chris Kobach. Oh, oh, the Kansas uh, Secretary of State. So, see, you also got the main thing I have a problem with the immigration issue is that, okay, you say you're going to build a wall or surveillance system, whatever. I think it's like I said, surveillance is a better way to go. And then you should have come out and said to business owners that are using immigrant labor, look, people are here. Well, you need to sponsor these people. Let's get them work visas and bring them out of the shadows. It's a lot of money to do that, though. Yes, 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 yes. But if you get businesses involved, okay? I don't understand why they don't do what Reagan did. Yeah, they did and, amnesty. And, and, and Reagan was the biggest amnesty giver of all time. Amnesty. And so the, you get them to do that. Now you haven't scared them. But since he went out and started getting the thugs first and then started having collateral damage when somebody ate was just illegal there, yeah, right. now he scared all of them to death. I agree with you a thousand percent. I think you're yeah. right on track on that. So now, even if you try to get them work visas, are they going to come out of the shower? Shit, no. They're afraid they're going to register for work visas. They're going to get hauled off. Now nah, they're going to fucking hide like anybody's business. They're, oh, yeah. They're not going anywhere. So now you create this culture of fear. You know, this poorly is done. Do. Poorly done. Wrong thing to do. I completely yeah. agree. And, and, and it really hasn't even been a policy. That's not even an executive order yet. I don't think he's... It's just something that they can do because... The law? I don't think he's even had an executive order on immigration yet, has he? Well, he's had what, two. What, the, the travel? Well, one was struck down. Travel, but not... but not. The wall is also an executive order where he ordered it to be built, and Paul Ryan uh, promised that Congress would provide funding for it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so him passing the executive order to say we're going to start building a wall actually means nothing because he doesn't control any money. But then he had Paul Ryan come out and say Congress will fund the wall. That was already a law that yeah. was approved, though. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, Obama, Hillary, and Biden all voted for it. The wall? The wall. The wall has never, ever been approved ever congressionally. So, no, this, this is a first. To What they did vote for was to strengthen border security with more agents, you know, potentially build more fences where there were gaps in the fence lines and things like that. Nobody that that must be what they're talking about. Wall. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah that's, that's what they voted for. That's very different. But they did vote for a similar measure in that aspect. You know what? Since we've already uh, jumped in, let me just jump in. Let's do it. <laughs> and then uh, uh, we may still be joined by one or two people, but we will uh, announce them as they come along. Oh, wow. Uh, Holy crap. And uh, so, and, and there's 
quite a bit to get to because there's been a lot going on this week, obviously. Uh, and with that, welcome everybody out there in podcast land. The Good Times with Good People Company proudly presents the Law Party Podcast, where it is always about good times, good people, and good talk. Good. Now that you've received your invitation, join us. Grab a cocktail, light a cigar, or whatever you like to smoke. Tell a friend, and welcome to the party. I'm your host and moderator, Rio, and let's introduce today's panel. Uh, right now, we do have a small panel, but I think there may be one or two, one or two more people joining us. Of course, our uh, defending champion, uh, Chris O'Connor, uh, he's the co-owner of Liquid Nine Broadcast Media Production, and Dave Elliott, we like to call him Big Dave, he's the owner of CMP Construction, um, and um, uh, today, I know for all of you anonymous female fans out there, you are going to be sad, so we're going to uh, go in with a resounding... Oh, uh, she's not going to be on the show today. She's got some family things that she's got going on. Uh, but we're going to jump right in. Uh, Law Party Podcast episode 46. Uh, I quit. You're fired. Stop talking. Uh, so, as we always do, we're going to start. making my head hurt. <laughs> so, we're going to start with our uh, RIPs. Um, I, I, I think some of these uh, have happened already. I don't know if they were this week, but I happened to notice them, and I thought that uh, they should probably get mentioned. Uh, first, uh, John Hurt. Uh, he was uh, Oscar-nominated for uh, The Elephant Man and Midnight Express. Um, and uh, for uh, some of you younger listeners, he was uh, Mr. Oleander, uh, Ole. Ollivander, excuse me, uh, Mr. Ollivander uh, in the Harry Potter series. And that's, of course, uh, where you went to go and uh, get your wines. So he was a oh, guy yeah. who ran the wine shop. Yeah. Um, uh, two, and uh, he passed at 77. Um, Rick, yeah, Richard Hatch, uh, he passed at uh, 71. Uh, he's best known for his... Uh, role as uh, Captain Apollo on uh, Battlestar Galactica and he also was on All My Children um, in like 71. Loved Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, I know. Uh, which is why I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, last but not least, uh, Frank, Pe- Frank Pellegrino uh, passed at 72. Um, he had some notable roles um, uh, in The Sopranos and also uh, the movie Goodfellas. Um, and, and he was actually co-owner of uh, the famous and infamous Italian restaurant, <laughs> Rao's. He was, he was the big guy, right? Um, no, he was a slimmer yeah. guy. He was a slimmer was guy. Slimmer. No, I'm not yeah. recognizing who he is. Yeah. Um, uh, My wife would be embarrassed of me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's actually pronounced Rao's, but uh, a lot of people pronounce it Rao's, R-A-O. Um, uh, they... Uh, to call it infamous is to be kind. Yeah, they... Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're... They're definitely uh, in their heyday was a huge uh, uh, who's who in the mob hangout, uh, and uh, later they just became like the most booked Italian restaurant in the country. Like it's like years waiting list to get into. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, and of course they have a line of sauces, uh, uh, spaghetti sauces or whatever in the, yeah, in the that's grocery the legit stores. Side of the business. Yeah, right, 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 right. right. <laughs> yeah, you got to have a legit side. <laughs> right. Come on. Uh, 
so before we get... I have one more. Oh, oh okay, go ahead. And this, and this is a rather important one in a lot of ways, and very controversial one. Norma McCorvey. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, um, Jane Doe. Roe versus Wade. Oh! And it's too bad the anonymous female isn't here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because the anonymous female would uh, definitely have something to pit in on this. <laughs> Uh, uh, probably. Basically, Norma McCovey ended up, she had three children. Mm-hmm. She never aborted one. Mm-hmm. Never had an abortion. And there's another woman called, uh, that was uh, Roe versus, um, uh, I'll look for Wait. Barton. Barton. Bolton. Doe versus Bolton. Doe versus Bolton. Okay. Which so came at the same time. Right. They yeah. were very similar oh, okay. Right. Okay. rulings, but they were slightly different. Slightly different. And both of them never had an abortion. Well, the only reason that, to be honest, um, Jane Roe did not have an abortion was because the state of Texas dragged it well past the time that right. she had to have the kid. Yeah. But the interesting thing about her is that she uh, she basically felt like she was used as a pawn. In yeah. her latter days, she stated this, so did San Arcano. Yeah. Um, she uh, was basically not very religious at the time of all this, and then she uh, became an evangelical Christian, and then she left the evangelical Christians and went and became and Catholicized. Hmm. Hmm. And she was she was used by everybody involved that could possibly have a say in the matter. Like she was really used on both by sides for a very long time. You know, when she was a very staunch uh, pro-abortion advocate up until the '80s. In which case she became a born-again Christian and completely flipped her stance. And a lot of people would tell you, and in fact a lot of people have been very unflattering towards her, but she was almost entirely uneducated. Uh, and had, well, she and she had states where lie. she came from. She was very open about that, that she was basically, you know, raised in a bad household and she was not worldly or even a, you know... Yeah, but she knew anyone that close she, to an educated person. She knew how to ask for money. She knew how to. She also had drug issues and everything yeah, else. She had a lot of problems. Right. But you know, it's it was just interesting on both sides. I think a lot of people think she flipped to being pro life uh, because there was some financial gain there, where conservative people would pay for you know her to go speak. And yeah, but that's that's their speculation. How do we ever really know what 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 was in her true heart? I, I, I completely agree. With you. I'm not. I, I can't. I you can't know, judge what she really This believed. is my whole problem with her and, and the way society has treated her, is that they have used her as a pawn in a way because she's an excellent pawn to use. As soon as the ruling went down, then you know, all the abortion rights people are in the street cheering her. And, right. and, I, and the, one, the irony that, that really bothers me on this, the irony that really bothers me, is that neither one of these women had had an abortion. Well, but she would have. But, but, but yet they, they ended up being the face of abortion. But she absolutely would have had an abortion had she been she not had the state of Texas drag the case but out. You, but you still got to recognize the irony behind it. I don't think it's ironic when you're legally prevented from it. I, I think she absolutely wanted an abortion the first time around, and that's why it became a case. And the state of Texas literally did appeal after appeal appeal to drag it out beyond the point where she could have an abortion. Uh, because they clearly were against, you know, the legal right to abortion. Well, this was early nineteen sixties too. You know, this was well. The case came down in seventy one, didn't it? It was sixties when it started. Sixties when it started. Seventy one was when mm-hmm. the Supreme Court ruling mm-hmm. came down, I, I believe. So, um, different times. 
yeah. exceptionally different times. And, you know, like, and I, I will say, and I had this conversation the other day, that I do not believe all pro-lifers are religious nuts and things like mm-hmm. that. I think there's a very logical and reasonable case you can make for being pro-life. And then I think there's a very logical and reasonable case you can make for being pro-choice. So I don't think anybody's nuts on either side. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. I really dislike when pro-lifers are considered to be just unthinking religious fanatics who want to deny uh, women the right to control their body. I think there's a very legitimate argument that you can make about what defines life, which is the really the fundamental question of the case. It's not about, is it your body and your right to choose? That's not the question. It's about what defines a life. And so uh, that's why I think this is such a still a hot topic. It will always be, I think. Yeah, and, and, I don't think that, that I don't think case. that'll ever go away as a topic. The, the the one thing that the one thing that bothers me is that with abortion, sometimes it's the lazy way out. When you use it, but, not, but I didn't state wait. I didn't state that right. To me, it's 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 a way of not having account for yourself to make to try very hard not to get pregnant. To make it and I understand there can be isolated instances where you can get pregnant no matter how hard you try. They're using IUD or the pill or a condom. A condom can break. I had a condom break on me one time, scared me to death. And, you know, these things can't happen. But for the most part, that's not what's happening with abortion nowadays. I think it's just a way that society has said, I can do what I want. I have no repercussions from because I have an outlet. But I also think that we've done a lot of things to, uh, I would say, for a woman to have a better option. So abortion is never an easy, an easy choice. And I know a lot of people throw rape and incest and yada yada. That it that accounts for slightly less than one percent of all abortions in the United States. So really, we're talking about ninety nine percent of people using as birth control in some fashion. And I'm not a pro-lifer by any stretch. I think theoretically, theoretically it makes the most sense. In practice, it is a horrible thing. And if we decided to to eliminate abortion, it would cause mass chaos in this country and it would be awful. But I would also throw out that if we're going to do that, then we need to give women more options that allow them to, one, prevent being pregnant in the first place, two, the, like RU486, uh, we fought that forever to make that a legal uh, thing, which is just the bill before the the kid even remotely has a chance to become viable. Uh, We should be looking into more things like that and providing them free, uh, because abortion disproportionately affects lower income people. And psychological effects. You live with that abortion all your life. Sure. Absolutely. And 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 I really think that, you know, I am that very person very close to me that had one. But uh, something like the RU486 pill where that child never would be allowed to evolve to the point where it even remotely came close to viability, uh, would go a long way uh, into, into minimizing the psychological impacts. You know, because you don't know, honestly, if you're pregnant or not, when you take the RU486 pill, you're just going, holy shit, I just had uh, sex, and I need to take the pill. And we're three dudes sitting here saying... Do we really know what's in a woman's head in that situation? Yeah, well, and, but I also don't think uh, it's just. It's I think just we've a, been around women enough that we have somewhat. Of I don't think it's just a female issue, to be perfectly honest, because it's a male issue. I would be very distraught if I thought if I had a girlfriend got pregnant 
And all of a sudden, I decided, you know, I really, I want that kid. That's my kid. Well, the flip side is, and then she turns around, and goes, has an abortion. I think, I think that's psychologically for the male a, a difficult experience, also. Well, I think the yeah. flip side is just as bad, where you are a guy who does not want to have the kid, and she does, and you're on the hook, you know, financially and all that other stuff for the rest of your life. That's a different scenario too. So, uh, until a woman gets pregnant on her own. You know, God bless her. That'll be, then it will become a completely female issue. But until that point, uh, I think it's reasonable for guys to have an opinion on the matter. It oh. is. It is not just woman's body, woman's choice. Actually, two people were involved in creating a child. That so, takes both of us to make it happen. That that's exactly my. It's a hell of a lot of fun making it happen, but and, you know. And so my feeling has always been, and this might be slightly unpopular, but if I knew that the weight of the responsibility was going to fall on me, uh, being a female and being the one who would have to carry the child and do all those other things, then I would exercise extreme caution at that moment. And I'm not excusing guys. What I am saying is, when you know the responsibility is mainly going to fall on you, then I, I would really think hard about what I was doing at the time. Now, again, not excusing guys, but uh, the fact that we have... From that moment on, no say in the matter, regardless, uh, really does bother me quite a bit. I accuse this. You know my stand on this. I feel it relies on the man first and foremost. I not. To not make a child, which means you have to wear a condom. Well, yeah. There's a thousand women who will tell you that I'm both controlling or not. And all that other kind of stuff. But so that's an old school view, too. It, it's, this is probably the oldest conversation. It's not even on our list, but it is just one of those interesting mm-hmm. interesting things that's probably worthy of an hour long conversation on okay. our oh, podcast. Absolutely. But it is, it is not a one side issue. It is not wrapped up in ridiculous uh, religious values and people are just crazy. Yeah, no, it is, there's a logical side for both arguments. And it's just a matter of like what you pick. Yeah, and honestly, I, I guess I feel fairly similar. You know, at the end of the day, like you say, I think abortion disproportionately affects low-income communities in general, and 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 usually that goes to you know a lack of education and a lack of resources, and so when you find yourself in the, in the position that you know, the woman is pregnant. Now, like you say, you you as the guy, you know, you fall on one of two sides of the fence. Like, oh wow, like like you gonna have a baby, or oh shit, you gonna have a baby, you, have a baby. <laughs> you know. And uh, and once the two of you discuss it, once the two of you discuss it, which is the first thing to me, like there should be. There shouldn't be any unilateral decisions if you absolutely know who this father is. It is a unilateral decision. <coughs> well, and, and no, I think that's the thing, that, that it is a unilateral decision. But I think if you know who the father is, there shouldn't be a unilateral decision. It should at least be a discussion. And But a discussion but, when you're not a, a decision maker is nothing but a discussion. Yeah, well, and that's you, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. I think at the end of the day... You know, we find ourselves not necessarily being the decision makers there, but I still stand by the fact that even though I'm not the decision maker uh, in the, in this in this moment, 
you know, it there should be a, a discussion because I'm in discussion. I don't want to because you know, great. look at the end of the day, um, something happens, condom breaks, what, what, whatever, and this woman's pregnant, and now she goes, and I want to keep it. So now, whether you are in a relationship with this woman or not, and you know, it's kind of her choice at that yeah, point, right? And you have, and you yeah, have the, you have the legal. Choice, she's carrying the child, right? Exactly, and it's your responsibility, and uh, and. It, it, that's a lot. Think. That's a lot to say for at least the next eighteen years. Yep, legally. <laughs> legally, well, and you're... even longer. There's there's statutes in most states that say if your kid decides to go to school, you're responsible until they're twenty one, and all kinds of other things that come along with that, and, and many, many, many things. So it goes beyond eighteen years uh, in almost every state. But you know, I would say is. Uh, I do believe that there should be some sort of, I, I, I don't know what it would be, a consideration for if a guy wanted the woman to have an abortion mm-hmm. and she chose not to, right. I think the guy should have some sort of a, a break on yeah. this. Because let's be honest, like women don't have sex not knowing what the responsibilities and repercussions are. And I know that if it was me that could become pregnant... I would definitely be thinking pretty <laughs> damn hard about whether or not I wanted to be pregnant or not. What about some kid that doesn't think he could even support her? Most oh, absolutely. That's, that's the worst thing. I'm saying, I'm just a struggling, struggling idiot out on the street right now. How am I going to support this, this child or this woman? Sure. And I can tell you that, honestly, if guys could become pregnant, like, everybody always makes the joke, if guys could become pregnant, abortion would be legal in a second. I don't know if that's true or not. What I do think is... I know I'd weigh the the consequences of having sex a lot more seriously than I probably do now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And also, uh, I think that there should be exceptions to the rule when you were lied to about somebody being on birth control. Birth control does not fail. That's nonsense. Yes, every now and then a condom can break, but birth control really does not fail. The percentages are so low. Yeah, there's yeah, so once like again, 1%. Like when people talk about that, we're, we're getting back to the fraction of a percentage of abortions that happen in this country they generally happen because we're using as a form of birth control and that's all it is and that that i find a little bit bothersome Mm. um and again i'm pro-choice and i i believe in i believe in abortion as just socially we would not be able to survive without it and in fact if you ever read the book freakonomics everybody gives giuliani so much credit for the dropping of crime in New York City in the early 90s, the guys who wrote Freakonomics, Stephen Levitt uh, being the chief uh, one who came up with this theory, but he traced it back to the legalization of abortion where lower income people were now allowed to be able to have abortions of kids who would have grown up in poorer environments and maybe tended towards a life of crime and things. And if you think about the timing of it, 71 to 91... 91, they would have hit the age where they would have been committing crimes and doing things like that, and there were just far fewer children in that environment at that point, so the crime rate dropped due to that, which was super interesting. And they went through all kinds of stuff. The police changes they made, blah, 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 would have accounted for a certain percentage of that, and that's great. Mm -hmm. But really, the main driver of it was the fact that legalized abortion meant there were fewer people 
growing up in poverty to be able to commit crimes and have that lifestyle. That's an interesting thought too because it also evolves into something on a greater scale that has no really religious factor to it in any kind of way at all. And that's the population of the world right now. Oh, yeah. Look at China, all of a sudden they're eliminating to one person. That's how they ended up with all the girls that got adopted exactly. into all the countries because sure. they all kept boys because mm -hmm. the boys had better chances of being wage earners. Yeah. And being able to take care of the traditional family because you're supposed to take care of your parents when, you, sure. when they get old in China. Yeah. So, you know, and, and you look at this all over the place with the population boom. And, you know, that's kind of a weird way to look at it, but... Yeah, it's interesting. Do you want to bring your kid into the world? But anyway, we're, I know I, we need to move on. Some no, I know subjects. we do, but yeah. I know you and Jack, uh, the honest one, sorry, edit that out. I know you and the anonymous female were talking about the other day about the documentary 13. Yeah. Uh, and its opening line is pretty amazing where it describes that America has 5% of the world's population and 25% of the world's criminals. The world's criminals. Which yeah. is a fascinating thought. 25%. And then you start to think how legalized abortion would or would not affect that and, and those kinds of things. So anyway, getting slightly off topic, but it is, they're all tied together. I do yeah, and no, I do, I do believe. All right, so before... It's an amazing subject. Before that. we go forward, uh, we are being joined uh, by... Uh, uh, I like to call him uh, Young Padawan, uh, Mark Kulik, and he brought a friend, and your name is? Steve Burton. Steve Burton. What do you do, Steve? I work at VR Architecture. And and for for the audience, what do you do, Mark? Uh, I work in real estate. Okay. All right. Uh, please have a seat. Join join the panel. Steve Burton. Uh, That's me. <laughs> so, David, Mark. By saying, Dave and Chris. Uh, and so, uh, actually, you are coming right at the right time because we were just on a topic and we're getting back on track. Uh, <laughs> so, we tend to get off on that. Uh, from, from time to time. No, 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 it's okay. Uh, so, uh, as I wrote here before we get started, um, I want to touch on a couple of things. Uh, the Anonymous Female uh, found, uh, uh, found this podcast. It's only eight or nine episodes deep, but... Um, I thought it was really interesting, given uh, given the political climate today, that um, there's a podcast that is dedicated purely to uh, to giving America a very much needed civics lesson. Uh, and the podcast is called uh, Civics One Hundred and One. Um, so what do you mean? We don't need no damn civic lesson. <laughs> I think we did. Okay. Uh, and it's an NPR podcast. I'm not. Uh, I'm not here to plug it, but it is actually <laughs> very interesting. Um, and and they're short. They're only like 15 minutes long or so. Mm -hmm. But you know, if you really ever want to know, like you know, what powers do, you know, this this Which particular title to do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, what powers does this? This uh, this person in the uh, in the White House have or uh, how how does a bill become a law? And of course, you haven't uh, seen Schoolhouse Rock growing up. Or what's the <laughs> purpose of an executive order? And yeah, yeah, and yeah. What uh, you know, credence do they carry legally? And so like that. they're basically teaching them something that they should have learned in school. Absolutely, that we did learn in school. Yeah, well, uh, and and I think that I think the problem now is. They've trimmed so much, uh, uh, and, and in the trimming, it's 
you know, trying to trying to cram as much curriculum in. Sure. So you don't get in depth on any subject anymore. But I guess that is the beauty of uh, the internet and uh, of uh, living out here in podcast land. Uh, you can learn quite a bit, um, uh, actually, online if you're not Run looking at cat videos off that. Sure. <laughs> um, so uh, one one more one more heavy heavier topic um, before we get into um, Trump talk. <laughs> Uh, and that is, um, I don't know who here at the table, uh, remembers or knows about, um, the, uh, murder of, uh, Emmett Till, uh, Emmett Till. That wow. was, that was, uh, Absolutely. that was, uh, <laughs> I think everybody 60 years this. ago. Um, so what, what was said was, uh, Emmett Till, uh, Emmett Till, whistled at the time whistled at a white woman and Mm -hmm. that basically got him uh, murdered uh, in the south um, not just murdered, tortured oh yeah, tortured and yeah, Yeah, tortured and 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 that was in 1955 Um, I actually included something that I really thought long and hard about including but I'm gonna I'm gonna say this, and then I want everybody to look at the picture. Um, so uh, I think the thing people tend to forget about Emmett Till is that Emmett Till was 14 years old. He w- he was a child, and uh, uh, and he was tortured and killed. And uh, what I included in I, I bake up these packets uh, every week for the people in podcast land out there. Um, so that everybody at the table can kind of be on the same uh, same page. Um, and I, one of the things I included in the package is uh, Emma Till's mother and, uh, wanted uh, his funeral to be open casket so that people could know what happened to her, her son. Um, and the picture I included is a picture of what Emma Till looked like in his casket after uh, his torture and murder. But what he really looked like, also at the bottom, you know, as a fourteen-year-old kid. So you, so you can see, you know, it was far from possible that he was doing anything threatening to anybody, and and he got killed for it. But um, it, it's a uh, what is the right word? Um, sad and happy day um, that. Here, very recently, the woman who accused Emmett Till um, has, after all these years, recanted her story and and said finally that the whole thing was a lie. How on earth could she live with herself for all this? Well, and that's what I was thinking. She, she was living with herself well, there, for six. There, there's years. a little backstory on her. Yeah. Is that how much she was pressured by her husband? Who was kind of a busy bastard too? This wasn't on her totally. No, 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 no. I, I do you know, believe she she was concerned into this. I, I do believe. If you read that. the backstory on it, it's, it's, I, I read the backstory on it after this came out, and like she's certainly a guilty party, as much as any of the rest of them. They were all guilty parties, yeah. ways. But I do believe that she was. Um, she you know, basically, had, she, he left out of a, like a general store. And I think what he actually said was 
something more akin to, you know, to like bye bye. Niggas just place this whole TV is general. And uh, and and, and, and the other thing too was uh, Emmett was just visiting some relative down south. He's originally he from Ch- he's from Chicago. Yep. So he didn't know that you just don't speak at that time. You just don't speak to a white woman at that time. You just keep it you just keep it pushing. And the fact that he spoke the husband and I forget who the other guy was, you know, was like, what did he say? What did he say? What did he say? And kind of pushed her into saying that he said something inappropriate. And of course, uh, it ended the way it ended. But, um, yeah, that was my first thought uh, was, you know, living with something like that for, for 60 years. How, how could you, how could you live with that? She had to have to come to Jesus more. I mean, she yeah. had, she had to, you know, I can promise you as you get older, you start thinking about things. Oh, I'm sure. I am right? sure. And you start thinking about things and you go, I need to get square. You know, it's funny. I remember when the movie uh, 42 came out. Yeah. You know, I had a, a, a supervisor, really nice guy, one of the nicest guys um, I, I've ever met, actually. Um, there was a scene in the movie, there was a young kid, you know, he was probably about Emmett's age. Um, and um, they're at the baseball game and they're, you know, screaming profanities and calling them the N word and everything else under the sun. And the kid who was just there to enjoy a baseball game, you know, he sees his, his dad and probably his uncle or whatever doing it. And he's looking around, and then he starts because he thinks that's what you're supposed to do. And um, and I, I and I remember getting uh, it was it was uh, it was a, an oddly heartwarming. It was a, kind of one of those confessional moments where you know uh, you know my uh, old supervisor was like you know that that was that was me you know at. You know, when I was that age, and say, you know, where I'm from and where I grew up, and you know, I didn't know any better. And of course, like I said, now he's the nicest, most God fearing man that I've ever met. And uh, and and but you could, and because we have we had built such a rapport over the years, um, you could tell. And that's one of the things we bonded over. We always talk about movies. So, like, every Monday I come in and we'd be like, did you see any movies this weekend? Because we, he loves movies and so, do, and so do I. And so he'd be like, oh, yeah, I did. Wait, did you see 42? And I was like, yeah, I did. And so that came out, you know, in that conversation. And, you know, it, and, and it was one of those things that, you know, I, I've never thought, I've never thought, you know, like all all anybody is bad, you know. You know, I think there are bad actors and there are bad moments. Um, but, you know... We all are bad actors and have bad moments. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But and, and, and there are some just raging assholes that well, are just... Let's have, let's have a little social experiments here. Now we got a couple younger panelists. Yes. Were you ever taught about Emmett Till? No. Were you ever taught about Emmett Till? Uh, no, and that, and and also another another one that I was never taught about, but that I had found out yeah. found out about Emmett Till right now. But the uh, Tulsa Massacre of 1921 mm-hmm. was another one that yeah. isn't really taught anything about, and and that actually begs the question for me: like how uh, how much does recognizing these things 
40, 50 years after they happened really effectuate change. Uh, you know, in, in the example of Tulsa, the, the city finally, finally decided to investigate what happened right. in 1996. Mm -hmm. That doesn't change the fact that a really affluent community oh, yeah. was yeah. destroyed in 1921. doesn't yeah. change much. Yeah, in my opinion, I, I, but, but well, it doesn't change much. But it, I will say this, and I've been saying, you know, there's, comes from it's been a um, it's been a push for years for uh, for uh, reparations of for you know kind of the the descendants of the descendants of of slavery, and you know, and I wrestled a long time whether or not I thought that reparations were. Uh, a good idea if they were necessary or what I will say is I don't know if you know suddenly now giving me the 40 acres of the mule that was promised um, is Great. is Amazing. you know if yeah. that I don't know if that does anything for me now um, but the recognition the formal recognition of the act does mean something I believe that's an important thing too yeah. and I also believe that what it does do is create a scenario where A, more people are aware, B, you have alternate means of trying to make reparations. I don't believe that giving money away uh, to people who were generationally from uh, slaves would, would make a difference. But what I do think is it does things like it pushes for affirmative action, where I think a lot of people, myself included, would say, you can't deny an entire race of people an economic opportunity to build an infrastructure. And that's why I think you do see things like, maybe it doesn't do a lot, but what I do think it does is, you start to get things like affirmative action where we say, okay, let's, instead of getting our money, let's try to make programs that balance the inequity and in the economic situation that they face. And sometimes it works and sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, again, a lot of people would blame the housing crisis on the fact that there was a law in place that made <coughs> uh, bad loans right, uh, right, right, right. in that case. But I do believe things like affirmative action are exceptionally important because it gives, it gives disadvantaged people the right to try to build an economic infrastructure in a community that would never otherwise have that ability. You know, who have been yes. systematically denied that ability for a very long time. Yeah, so yeah. I do believe in those programs, and I think they should continue yeah. and, and should be enforced. Yeah, you know, I've been hearing a lot in the past year or two, um, especially uh, past year. Um, you know, there's there's been a lot of online um, stuff about like buy black and and stuff like that. And you know, I, I remember having this or trying to have this conversation with uh, somebody else that was uh, another black person, and you know. They were coming at it from a um, uh, from a militant standpoint, you know. Just you know, we you know we need to keep money in our community, so we need sure. to buy black. And I was like, um, that's just a, a, a piece of the puzzle, though. I says, I said, so I say, oh, I say, no, it's not a bad piece. So I said, but this is really what it is. It, it's about community building, and any and any real community, there's. Three pillars. They're missing the point a little bit. Yeah. Right? Well. Yeah. Well. And I think. Well, it's they're they're. I think they're they're 
they're hitting the point and not even knowing why they're hitting the point, yeah, which is which is yeah. which is which is just as bad to me as not knowing what the point is at all. Because so you bank black, buy black, invest black, not because you're doing some militant action, but because in community building, um, if you are um, putting your money into institutions that will give you a loan when, let's say, Bank of America won't, sure. um, then you can do the second thing, which is uh, spend that money in stores that are owned by people that that have your better interests at heart. And then, um, because economically, uh, you've got... Uh, you're, you're, you've got your bank. You've got a banking system. You're spending money in these, you know, retail uh, arenas. Uh, now you can do the third thing, which is probably the more important thing, which is invest. And that's and that's also a community piece. If you go into Chinatown or Greek Town, if you're in a larger city, Chicago, yeah. yeah, you know, there's every single business is owned by you know, a Chinese family or by a Greek family or by an Italian family in Little Italy's. But they want to depend it, on the overall public well, though. Well, it, it, which, which, is, which, is what, which is what I mean. It's At the end of the right. day, if, if your community is strong, then, you know, it's not that you're, which is the reason that I kind of reject it being a, uh, a militant action. If, you're, if your community is strong, and you're selling good products and good services, and then everybody's going to want to come to that community and spend their money and their time there. Just in the same way, we'd all go to Chinatown, or we'd all go to Little Italy, or we'd all yeah. go to whatever community. Well, we, you know, we have a, we have a problem here in Kansas City of a similar type of fair mm-hmm. because we have this wonderful jazz and blues heritage, but 18th and Vine continues to suffer and suffer, and it's a money pit that they throw people. In. And I, and I happen to know Donna down there who works at the Jazz Museum. Or Danny and Gene who used to have Danny and Big Easy until they told too much cocaine and really screwed up. That's an accident. Very <laughs> disgusted with both of them because they really had a good thing going on there with their music and everything else. Right, right. They blew it. But the point we had several conversations with some of the people I've had down there is that they need a management system to go in there to turn that into like a Beale Street type of an affair that it has that potential and has always had that potential and they haven't been able to reach out and say hey we need help right, right. they've tried to keep it with the minority ownerships and they just can't get it done there and the overall consensus is we need overall multiracial investment well, and 18th and Vine it, in order to bring 18th and Vine and make it what it has the potential to be. Well, first of all, 18th and Vine is a, is a misnomer because it was only 12th and Vine and they fucked up 12th and Vine so bad. In fact, the song about Kansas City is about 12th and Vine, not 18th and Vine. Oh, no, I know, but it's, it's still the cold. But even, even beyond that, so let's take 18th and Vine. You have four blocks of just absolute shitland that is between... Where you would consider the eastern edge of the crossroads. The crossroads. It needs to be connected. So there needs to be development in between the two to make it a not just a destination place, but a place that's integrated. But a connection. That that would be nice. Michelle and I have been total proponents of that. 
everybody's a believer in that, I think, but it's just a matter of getting people to develop that land and make that work. So but instead they, of getting TIFs to people who want to go in the crossroads, the crossroads is already doing well, why don't you push them further east and say, let's make a connection between these two places that are historically significant to our city and actually define a lot of what our city stands for. Right, right. And so you can literally walk from 20th and Main Street at the Rio Grande down to uh, the Blue Note or wherever you want to go, mm -hmm. and then it's then it's okay. I mean, I used to run this every day. I did the same 5K every day where I would run from basically what's I-35 and Southwest Boulevard to 18th and Vine and then back. There was an enormous four-block area where you ran a lot faster <laughs> you know, just to get through it and well, you didn't necessarily want to be there. No. But if they could connect the two economically, then I think you have a very viable community. Yep. And that's always been the biggest problem. It is an island that sits on its own that is surrounded by, honestly, places... And, and the city own. just keeps pumping money into it. And my question to the city is, what's your accountability for your money? But you can't let the area die. They, you know the money's going in pockets down there, you know, and I've worked, I've, I've built houses down, down at 27th of Montgall and Benton, yeah. and it was on the, it, it was on the take so bad down there. Yeah. And, and, I mean, to, to, to not say it wasn't is a lie. No, because it too. was, and, th and this is where the problem <laughs> is down there, is that there's too many people on the take that are able to siphon some money off while they do this. And then they put their pocket yeah. into it, yeah. which, totally right which is, which, which totally is, right you know, that, that bothers me. That bothers yeah. me because, you know, Kansas City has, has come along so far. And, and that is a, a true cultural center that we should just worship. I mean, you go down to the Musicians Guild and sit around and listen to some music. We got some unbelievable musicians in this town. We got some great music in this town. Yeah. And it fails to be developed. Of course, the bikes won't come out of the suburbs because they don't feel safe down there, which I've never had a problem down there. Had a couple times where it's a little iffy, but more for the most part. I go to the gym. I mean, I go to all these things. Yeah. I don't have a problem down there. But it could be so much more. You just see that potential. Yeah. You see that potential there. Yeah. And going down to the foundation, the, what used to be the, oh, yeah. the musicians' union. Is great, which is now BYOB, which is uh, going to stay open late and do all those other kinds of things. It's a phenomenal experience. You don't necessarily feel super safe leaving at five in the morning from there, though. No. And uh, <coughs> good luck getting an Uber out of there. <laughs> and so that's the problem. I think if they really were able to develop those four blocks that separate what is now the crossroads and 18th and Vine, mm -hmm. I think you would see a lot of a lot of developments start happening. No, great. It'd be really cool. And I believe I do believe the city should continue to support that district in the oh, in between. While putting if it's me and somebody's asking me for tip money, yeah. I'm saying, okay, I'm gonna tell you exactly where to put it. It's just on the east side of the crossroads and let's develop this area. Yeah. Because yep. that would be great. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Are we ready for Trump talk? <laughs> Always ready. For Trump. <laughs> That's the best talk in the world. All right. <laughs> so uh, let's just jump right in. Uh, first uh, kind of bullet point I had down here is uh, Trump has officially uh, uh, said that the media is the enemy of the people. <laughs> you know, I thought that uh, that statement in particular. Um, Besides being ridiculous, first of all, besides being ridiculous, uh, is dangerous and, uh, 
and irresponsible. But to me, that sounds an awfully lot like the way dictatorships begin. And not to say that we're suddenly about to, you know, uh, have a dictator tomorrow. But I think, I think, I think Trump has, and 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 I'm purely basing this on things that he's actually said. Um, I think he's studied and admired dictators over the over the years, and he's he's doing a lot of things that are directly out of the dictator handbook. And uh, and one uh, is either the suppression or uh, discrediting of the media so that basically anything that's not praising uh, yeah. you yeah is is although fake news. although you get come on you get, you get news stories right that that permeate that are like the 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 one about him being urinated on by young russian women in in his spare time i mean there's no there's there's a lack of evidence to support those so when they start getting across mainstream media now, now you have a question of What's being reported, and, and if you, you know, I think uh, Facebook came out after the election and said that they thought Trump won because of fake news. So it's yeah. not just it, the the problem with the media isn't just a a, a Trump thing. Um, I think that there's a, a larger picture problem that both that 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 <laughs> is representative of, of of the political spectrum in America, not necessarily just Trump. That if you turn on Fox News, you're getting. News that people that tune into Fox News want to hear, yeah, so yeah. that they can get ratings. Well, now that Same for MSNBC or MSNBC on the opposite end. Exactly, exactly. You yeah. know, it, it goes whichever side you choose. You want to listen. Now you do, right? Right. But it used to be that news was a lost leader for networks, but they felt that an obligation to report factual news with right. good journalists and things. And now you have entertainment channels yeah, exactly. that are pushing stories, uh, which I think is probably your point, where they're pushing stories that are just fit for their audience in order to gear ratings. Exactly. Well, and then you have, and then, yeah, and then you have, you know, um, you have um, situations where CNN is offended by how Trump talks about them, so how do they respond? Well, they're going to respond by showing him in, a, in doing everything they can to paint, paint him in, in, a, in a certain light. Sure. Um, I, th- I, think, I think it's pretty complicated. Are they doing that or is he doing that? No, no, no. I, I think it's... But 50-50, I, I would agree. agree. And I always wanted to think CNN was the balancer. <laughs> yeah. The great balancer that was... I think if you had yeah. MSNBC and you had Fox, and then you hoped that CNN was the middle ground. <laughs> was the middle ground, yeah. But, you know, I'm with you. Now that he started talking CNN, if you're CNN, what are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, you're going to be pissed. Yeah. You know, and, and go after him. Don Lemon did. Yeah, yeah, it's actually, yeah, it's actually well, further. Well, you off, but, you know. It's actually further down on my list, but uh, that but definitely ties a, right in. He's a phenomenal journalist yeah. with a real pedigree of being a good journalist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's when people knowingly come on your shows and lie, and you call them out on it. Trump lied. Like, you, again, like, the, the press conference was amazingly revealing to say, the leaks are real, the news is fake. I'm like, well, wait a second. They can't both be the same thing. If these leaks are real, you're, they're not making up stuff. They, well, because could, because the definition of fake news is it is made up to sway an opinion. Hey, what's going on, podcasters? Let's acknowledge the good friends of the Law Party Podcast. The majestic restaurant and Pendergast Club carrying on Kansas City's tradition of great food and great jazz 
931 Broadway in Kansas City, Missouri. The J. Rieger Kansas City Distillery. Whiskey, gin, vodka. That is oh so good. And friend of the podcast and panelist, Lane Bolin. Managing to keep the podcast going. Apparently wealthy or not. Now onto our regularly scheduled program. And I think well, his, actually, I think his larger point would be that they're trying to construct a narrative about his presidency by selectively picking which stories they're Correct. telling, and that would be an issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, now, now, and I can go with that. So I feel like it raises red flags when, like, in the um, in his responses back to people, if he tunes out reporters, you know, mm-hmm. who are pointing out legitimate things, like you're mentioning, mm-hmm. and labeling everything as fake. You know, sure, there's fake news, and certainly people have been reporting when they shouldn't have, but for him to just discredit or to not take questions or to take a question from someone and then respond by not addressing their question, you know, he seems to be doing that in a much more blatant way than we've seen before. But the fact that he will not directly answer a question is a real problem. When, when they ask you literally just yes or no, did you have... Did anybody that you know of in your campaign have anything to do with talking to Russians? And he responds by talking about the ratings of CNN. And (laughs) it's completely unrelated. And it goes off on this path that doesn't answer a question. What are you left to report on? The idiocy of his answer? Or, you know, the fact that, like... And I'm a firm believer that there will be a day where he will be impeached because of this Russian stuff, and I think he was very involved during the campaign mm-hmm. in talking Russia, but this is just my personal opinion. We'll that's your but, personal but, opinion. But if you listen to the answers, he's never once answered the question. He's never answered it. But he's, I will also tell you that I've watched many other presidents of many politicians don't answer the yeah. damn question. I, yeah, that's and, the that's the art. Of you know, politics. this 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 is the art of their deal. That you know, see, but this, but Trump term. I think there's a there's a difference between not answering the question and what politicians usually do. Now, yeah, because I think politicians usually find a way to color their answer in their favor. He doesn't have that. Type He's of not answering. He's not no, going to no, no. have that type of tact. No, but it, but that's the problem. No, like, he, he's not answering the question and then we're deflecting it to somebody else as if it was their fault for answering the question. That's, that's, yeah, right. He's I, like making it your fault for asking when, when the question. When somebody says, did, any, did anybody in your campaign administration talk to the Russians ahead of time and you say, to the best you know of your knowledge, this is another trick by fake news to try to get but, you to do but, this and your ratings suck so bad I'm not going to... <laughs> I, I, he, I have never heard a person talk about TV but, ratings before. But, if he, but if, he, if he responded to all other questions in an upfront and honest manner, and then, and then treated those specific questions about Russia like that, I'd say you have a point. But that's just his mode of answering basic questions. Like, there was a that's, question, but that's the problem. So there was a question, <laughs> there was a, I don't know if, if y'all saw it, there was a question that came up. From a from a, a, a Jewish reporter that said, "Oh yeah, this is a big one." That, yeah, said, <laughs> yeah. It said uh, "All right, well, we know we we've heard that you're anti that you're anti-Semitic. I've actually never seen or heard anything that you said to that effect." I'm the least um, anti-Semitic guy you'll ever meet in and your then, life. And then, and then, and then he, and he says, "But what are you going to do about the about the 49 Jewish community centers that have had bomb threats in the last two weeks?" Right. So it's an interesting moment for me because I'm a conservative, and what what it means. For me to be a conservative is that you believe in a limited federal government with 
with increased power to individual states' rights to police themselves. Okay. So if I'm Donald Trump and I get that question, I'm going to say it's a huge problem. My hope is that states, that states and municipalities will deal with it in their own way and in, a, in an efficient way and any support they need from the federal government, we're here to support them. But we can't overstep our limitations, and that's the end of the answer, right? That's what right, I was right. That's the answer to the question. Uh, I was going to say, <laughs> <laughs> Trump's not, Trump's Trump's not, Trump's not, not going to do that. The but, and that's the up. problem. But you have an answer to that uh, immediately as a president, which is, you know what? Racism and those kinds of things will never be allowed in my administration. I'll do everything I can. I find it horrible that anybody would ever judge somebody based on race or religion or anything else. It's the easiest question to knock out of the park. And the fact that he fails to do that time and time again and told the guy to sit down and be quiet and shut up because he already knew the rest of the question, I thought was just ridiculous. I'm like, do yourself a favor. Get out of your own way because you just got served a softball mm-hmm. and you can't even <laughs> hit it. But, but, but that's the point, right? Like, he, he, That's how he answers basic questions. And so when we start talking about, well, is it damning that he answers questions about Russia like that? To me, not particularly, because he can't answer a softball without giving the same answer, let alone a question that cuts to... But is that not alarming on, on, in itself? Not particularly. Um, How is that because not we're alarming? We're because no answers he, from because, our president. Because at what point... You know, we, okay. Someone well, 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 and, and let me ask, And let me jump in about why I'm asking that. How sure. is it not alarming? Sure. You had an answer to that question. Right. A lucid, <laughs> clear answer to the question. This you had a lucid, wow. clear answer, and you are, you are a conservative. Do you not want your president to say, under no circumstances will I ever tolerate anybody being bigoted, being racist, being anything else? Like, I will do everything and I possibly can to stamp it out because that's what a president does. And, and, I didn't, and, I didn't, and, and at any point that sorry, the states... <laughs> no, 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 and at any point that the states need my help, you know, the power of the federal government my is at their disposal. Right, yeah. so I'm like, that's not a difficult answer, but you're right. He doesn't answer call. any question call. that well. So, and, I, and that's, to me, because we were having a discussion before you got here, um, uh, I have huge respect for the office of the president, uh, but I don't see him having huge respect for the office of the president. If I'm the president, that's the question I want. for asking so, such a stupid question. So here's, awesome. here's why it doesn't bother me particularly: because the American people elected, because he won the primary and then he won the presidency, and it wasn't like he was answering these questions lucidly before when he was on debate stages. The, the the conversations got so derailed into these bizarre personal attacks. I mean, it was what the, this election cycle was like watching real, reality oh, reality yeah. TV show. Oh, absolutely. So we've elected so this is. man. I, I didn't support him in the primaries. Um, I did support him. Who was your candidate in the primaries? Uh, Marco Rubio. Yeah, I would. I love. I'm a Rubio guy. I would have been a Rubio uh, guy too. I'm a Rubio so guy. So yeah. I supported him in the in the general because. I felt like he had a higher possibility of maintaining conservative values. And, and actually, to that point, I still have some hope of that. We can get to that in a second. But I, I, I'm not surprised that we elected somebody who behaved like that on, in a public public forum, who's always behaved like that in a public forum when he was... No, no, I think you're right. Well, I, now I'm, now I'm, I'm sitting here I, shocked. I am. A, well, I'm shocked that he, he made it through the entire process. Oh, yeah. To take it through. Like, I am shocked <laughs> that he made it to the entire process. I'm going to ask you this, because I, I am hyper-independent, and I generally am fiscally conservative and very socially liberal. Sure. So, 
as a conservative, does it not alarm you to some degree, because I am conservative too, uh, and I'm having major problems with the fact that he is abusing federal law all the time, uh, overstepping the bounds of the presidency all the time. Because as a conservative, if I do believe in limited government right. and that the presidency uh, is not a dictatorship or a one-way street. There are federal laws in place that we all agree to. He's not allowed to make law. He's allowed to vote on a law that is presented, and that's it. And he is overstepping those boundaries so much that I, I fear, as a conservative, that the growth and power of the presidency is becoming enormous in a bizarre way that is violating every constitutional standard that we've had. The thing about Trump is, and this is what this is where I'll give him credit. Um, he ran on a platform and he said, "Look, I'm going to repeal. I'm going to use executive orders to repeal pretty much everything Obama did." That's illegal. You can't do um, that. That's well, a violation of the Constitution. It's a violation of the Constitution. Is it a violation? Yes. Vi yes, it is. Yes, it's absolutely because a when he violate when he's violating the Constitution, for instance, uh, courts ruled that the immigration ban is is too far. Sure. And it's not, there is, no matter what Trump does, no matter what you do in executive order, there's, there's, there's a check on presidential power. But that is a legitimate presidential power to say immigration does fall under the rule of the presidency, uh, and that is a legitimate presidential sure. power to do. What he did was he violated constitutional amendments that protect, they wrote in such a way that it made it seem as there was a check on religion and things along those lines, which was the violation. So it wasn't that... Him sure. interfering in immigration necessarily was a problem. It was that he made it a religious kind no, of... No, I, I, I understand that. What he is doing that is wrong is violating things that... Where the Congress has a legitimate opportunity to make a law and he can vote yes or no on it and pass it. Uh, he can veto it or approve it. It's one or the other. But he cannot make law. When it's presented to him, he can, he can vote on it. But executive orders by... All statutes are completely unenforceable when they require money, which Congress controls sure. a thousand percent, which is why an executive order to build a wall means literally freaking nothing, because that requires money to do, right. and the Congress has not passed and, it. And it's just stupidity. Well, it's is stupidity. it though? Or do you think that, uh, from my perspective, I always thought that Trump was more liberal than he let on. Actually, to your point about being a fiscal conservative... He totally and, is uh, hyper-liberal. Uh, yeah, if you've ever heard but, him on Howard Stern, then you would know but, that way he's that everything he's saying now is a complete lie. But on, on, on a little bit of a tangent here, conservatives should be. I mean, the, the, what cons, conservatives shouldn't shouldn't what, the, the line should be for real conservatives on abortion or or um, equal marriage should be. We may or may not agree with it, but the government has no ability to tell you what to do. So. It's a state issue. So that should be that even, should be the response. Is a state issue. Um, so, so as far as is Trump, um, those I think that he knows that those executive. I think he knows. For instance, perfect example of the wall. Mm -hmm. I think he knows that that he can't do anything. Right. So what he's doing is he he has this base of people that voted for him, and he's saying, "Hey guys, I'm doing everything I told you I would do. Yep. I'm building this. I'm doing. I made an executive order to build this wall. Oh." I don't, oh, no, there's no funding? Whoops, not my fault. But don't you find that to be hyper stupid? Like, I don't want my president to be hyper stupid. What I don't want the, him to do is waste, waste his time to be, to, to say, I'm 
agreeing, I'm trying to enact all the things I said I would do. And I'm like, you don't actually have the authority to do it. And as a conservative, that offends me tremendously because you're not working through the system of government that we've had in place for, what, 300 years, 250 years, whatever the case may be, uh, since 1789, I guess. You don't have the authority to do it. You are trying to reframe the office of the presidency in a way that is actually so antithetical to true conservative nature that it really, really, yeah. really offends me. It, 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 yeah, it's offensive, right? But, but again, if my, I guess my, I guess my ending is, president. We've had bad presidents before. Do I think Donald Trump is going to go down in 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 the top? 40 best presidents? No, I do not. We only have 45. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, right. So, not in the top 40. I said that intentionally. I said that right. Right, 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 right. Does it, he's, he's going he's to be a just bad president. Benjamin but Harrison. actually, what I will tell you, <laughs> he's just about what? Just about Benjamin Harrison, who lasted 50 days, got pneumonia in his inaugural address, and died. <laughs> so, what so I would say, though, what I would say about the Trump presidency. exactly what he said he would do. What I would say about the Trump presidency is that it actually gives me increased faith in our in our government's ability to get through poor leadership and to in in the, the system of checks and balances that was put in place. It actually to me makes it just all the more genius because Don, could Donald Trump try and and and, and take on a totalitarian uh, mindset? Absolutely. I don't I don't think it's a stretch to go that far. But what I'm seeing out of our government and out of the, out of the system that was created is that it's going to be functionally impossible for him to do that. My, my only issue, and I would agree with you completely, uh, if the Democrats have control of one of the branches of government, but being an entirely Republican uh, Congress and Senate and presidency, and now he's going to have a Supreme Court pick, which is going to make it a decidedly Republican Supreme Court, that's where the alarm buzz gets set off to me. As an independent, I vote for gridlock. I don't want anything to get done because I am conservative. <laughs> and so to me, like the best way to ensure that uh, your conservative values are upheld is to vote both people in so that nothing ever happens and they have equal powers. But the fact that they control every branch of government at the moment and that uh, Paul Ryan came out in an interview and said, we have a plan for the first 200 days which will redo everything that's happened in the last eight years. And you've already seen it. When they are now allowing uh, coal miners to dump pollution into streams, uh, that was a repeal of a, an Obama order. That is horrendous to me. You, once you script the environment, you cannot undo it. You know, it's things along those lines that make me really, really, really nervous. I like it when there's counterbalances. We always talk about checks and balances in this government. That's true when both parties have some sway in the decision making and as of right now democrats don't have any sway in the decision making and that means the republicans to do whatever the hell they want for two years at least and two that years. scares the living crap out but, of but but you're you're making an assumption that the republicans are going to vote along party lines and support everything they donald trump so is doing they have so far. i i don't think that they've supported everything trump is doing with, i think with it's, all, with exceptionally limited instances they've supported everything and in fact you've seen democrats not even show up to vote because they know that there's already a republican majority I'm, you know i know that uh I don't know if it's one of the things that was on the list. I, and I looked before I came, then I was running late. Um, uh, but uh, the uh, the 
the incident with uh, Elizabeth Warren and the uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah oh yeah we talked about that last week yeah. last week okay it was last week so my my thing is the Republicans unilaterally got behind his cabinet picks I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that um, but Scott Pruitt you don't find anything wrong with Scott Pruitt um, I think that Who, you I think that they when did the you vote purposely on Friday when tomorrow he has to turn over all the federal documents that he was court ordered to do while he was. Uh, the what Attorney General of Oklahoma, which would disclose all of the conversations he had with oil companies. You don't want the head of the EPA. You don't. You, you wouldn't want to know what his conversations were before that. Well, they actually, purposely scheduled that vote on Friday because they know that tomorrow he's got to turn over all those documents, which he has just ignored every single court order until now, and he's federally obligated. He will go to prison for it if he doesn't turn sure. them over. Uh, but why would you not? Say, you know what, just to be intellectually honest, why don't we hold off on this vote for a week so that we can look into some of these documents and see if he is an appropriate head of the EPA? Because I would prefer that the EPA be disbanded, just like my 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 issue with Betsy DeVos is, is notwithstanding, because I'd prefer that the Department of Education be disbanded. I would too. I'd, I think the Department of Education is a joke. And by the way, only 2% of all education funding is from the federal government anyway. Yep. So the federal well, government shouldn't, shouldn't even have a role in it anyway. They should just continue to make block grants and give the, give the state so, the money. They don't, you don't need a department to make block grants. You just have to give out the money. And it's only 2%. It's a big deal. But so, so, pay, so, so pay attention to Betsy. The, I, I actually am I'm, I'm hopeful that I, I, have, I have some reason to believe that, they're going, that Betsy DeVos is, is pro-disbanding Oh yeah, there's no reason to believe she is, well, and she, is, she she definitely wants to disband it. The funniest part of it is, and everybody so, so bitches about. No oh, oh, he wants not. to disband EPA. She wants to disband uh, the the Department of Education, and <coughs> I think what bothers me now with the Department of Education, uh, it being if not the newest, one of the newer departments. Was even. it a Carter uh, thing to do the education? Um, it's only been around since the late 70s. Yeah, like, yeah, like 78 or something like that. So it's not as if it's it's been a cabinet seat forever. The EPA um, I do find value in. The yeah, education. yeah, yeah. Now that I do find value Well, in. who knows? So take, let's, take for, let's take fracking, for sure. example. Um, and I don't have a ton of personal knowledge about this. And so. I know a lot about fracking. I was an oil man for seven years. Yeah. So, so, yeah, so you'll I, be, I fracked back in the 70s and early 80s. So you'll be much more knowledgeable about it than me. My, my feelings on, on it stem partially from lack of knowledge, but I, I'll, I'll use a personal example. I was dating a, a, a woman a few months ago who uh, is an environmental scientist. Mm-hmm. And even she, when I was talking to her about, about fracking, was like, peer-reviewed articles are really mixed. Yep. And so it's not as simple one to one that people make it seem like it is. It's a global so, warming argument. So who so who would know who knows better on fracking in the state of Oklahoma? The federal government or the Oklahoma legislature? Well, but what I would what I would throw out in, in the mix is that do we not seem some do we not need some sort of standard that says this is when it's okay because every state if every state has the ability to approve or deny it without any federal standards, all of a sudden we're in a we're in a case where it becomes impossible to have an efficient oil system uh, that actually does 
fuel most of the world, make us energy independent, and things along those lines. Because you can have North Dakota prove it, and you can have Pennsylvania deny it, and all of a sudden you can't run a pipeline down to where you want to go, and that's a huge problem. This is why we have an EPA. And also, there should be some standards that says, listen, as a country, we're not going to allow this level. I mean, if you want to go back to the early 1900s, this would, that we were disgustingly polluted. Ask Pittsburgh how it went up until about 79. You couldn't find clean drinking water there. It's disgusting. You know, I mean, it was just gross. You couldn't live. It affected your health. It affected everything else. We've had it in Missouri yeah, yeah. with the freaking uh, pig swine farms, you know, and all that. That yeah. polluted the drinking water so bad people couldn't live at that point. So that's where I do believe a federal government does have a role to come in and say, no, you can't do this. Now, as far as the Department of Education is, they literally have no say in almost anything. They just provide block grants. And people forget every single time because they always bitch about no child left behind. That's actually a Ted Kennedy bill yep. um, that he worked together with George Bush to uh, come up with and pass. So it was a Democratic-sponsored bill that everybody blames Bush for, but was really a Kennedy law. Mm-hmm. So I'm okay with the Department of Education going away because I think it's a joke. But EPA, I'm like, you can only fuck up the planet one time, and you don't get a redo. And so I would prefer to see us err on the side of caution. And along the lines of what you're saying, Mark, if Oklahoma is so reliant upon a practice, like whether it's fracking or whatnot, that it would be to their detriment to get away with it, but mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you can you know, start having these allegations, maybe it's causing earthquakes in Missouri... Yeah, would that be then the role of the federal government to say, okay, fracking is causing earthquakes? No, I will tell you, fracking is causing earthquakes. You're fracturing, you're literally on the largest fault line in the United States. I don't want some asshole in North Dakota making an earthquake here in Kansas City. Because that could be worse than any earthquake. But the EPA that you're describing, that every that everyone at the table here seems to be in agreement on, including me. Yeah. At this point, because I think I, I think I'm wrong to say I think I'm wrong to compare it to the Department of Ed, which I would re- really just like to see go away. But we're all just, what, we, what you are describing and what I can support is an EPA that is radically different than the EPA as it currently stands. But you got to go back to, and I think a lot of this with the EPA goes back to Reagan in the '80s, where they had James Watt, who was the head of the EPA, who voted to take the Grand Canyon, a national park, and allow oil drilling in the mud in a national park. <clears throat> that's and that's all nuts. Sense, it, I think that's crazy, Most too. people would say that. 90% of the people out there, 99% of the people say that's nuts. What yeah. I, and what I'm telling you is that was a legitimate, and you've got to remember this, this was I'll a remember. huge, huge political divide in the 80s. And James Watt got kicked out of office over it because it right, got so bad. Because that was an idiot thing. I would agree, but imagine had that gone through where now you're taking national parks uh, and we have very little preserved land, to be honest. I mean, people think it's an abundance of preserved land. Well, it's all western land, uh, and that's why they think it's so big. You can only screw it up one time. You don't get a redo. Imagine fucking up the Grand Canyon. You know, one of the <coughs> seven wonders of the world, and you are completely responsible for the destruction of that. That well, there's, incredibly there's, gorgeous piece of land that will never be able to be duplicated again. No, I well, would rather own the side. I, of I can give you give you an example. Like I said, uh, I was an old man, and I understand it. With natural gas, I did wild well fighting. 
I mean, there, I, I did the most hairy stuff out there. And if you go to Cheyenne National Grasslands, north, north uh, west of Elk City, Oklahoma, and you look through Cheyenne, and there's nothing but, but roads going to wellheads. Yep. And I understand that. And, and I, do I think there should have been any drilling out in the Cheyenne National Grasslands? No. No. There's some grasslands in Wyoming that shouldn't sure. be. You, know, you can't preserve it all, grasslands but, but you do. But you do preserve a certain amount of it. Sure, as much as you can. Yeah, as much uh, as you, as with, much as you can with, within within reason. Within reason. But to go back on, on on your deal, we do have one law in place that was probably the best law that was ever written as far as environmental concerns. That's Clean Air and Water Act. I would agree. That yeah. that act was a phenomenal, phenomenal bipartisan act. Was it not a clean that, act? that did a great job, and it's still in the clean effect, act, yeah. and it still and it still has uh, is very much in play. But those laws are still in place. You know, the Merrimack River in, in New Hampshire was a joke. I mean, the fish would couldn't, let alone Atlantic salmon swimming up it. The, the, the regular fish were dying. Sure. It stunk when you drove over it. It was stunk. It was horrible. You know, and nowadays that that river has Atlantic salmon coming up, but it's clean. And everything else. So, well, what I don't think people understand is I, I think those laws are in place to protect against cold waste going into a river. No, they just they just undid it, and you I, now, I don't I as, don't think it'll as last. As a coal mining company, you can absolutely dump your pollution into any stream that's local. And what I don't think people understand is, from right where we sit, you could literally go out that window and throw a rock and hit the Kansas River if you wanted to. Yes, that is the fifth most polluted river in the United States due to agriculture. Exactly, due to the pesticides from the pharmaceutical companies who uh, provide the agricultural, you know, things to make genetic uh, farming good, which I am a firm believer in genetic farming because mm -hmm. otherwise the world would starve to death. But having said that, it's also there's a responsibility to be able to cleanly and efficiently uh, get rid of the waste and the side effects of that kind of stuff, and that's where they don't want to spend their money. They want to spend their money on enhancing yields but they don't want to spend it on cleaning up waste that kills people down the line and that literally if you go down to the Kansas River and catch a fish and try to eat it you will be sicker than a dog within about two minutes because it is so polluted it's disgusting yeah it's, you know and we, that is but we know where that comes runoff. from it's that it's industry runoff and that's a direct tributary into the it's, Missouri it's River it's also I it meets the Missouri River farm, right there. farm right off too I, I would agree and, and I always find it ironic that farmers are the biggest conservatives it's a catch when they take all the farm subsidies, which are government programs and government write-offs to them. They're more than happy to live on the government dime, but pretend that they are conservative and not vote for I have, I have, for small government. Yeah, I have a friend, um, my best friend's former brother-in-law is a farmer in Illinois. He's made millions off of leaving land in the CRP. Because hmm. the government will give him money for CRP for a certain amount of time, then yep. he has to farm it, and the stuff he's been farming, he lets go to CRP and gets more government money. Sure. Make millions off of our tax dollars. Go to Western Kansas. Do I think that's right? Hell no, I don't think that's right. I understand that the, the, the premise of CRP is to let land go back to follow again, mm -hmm. and, and it has some merit. But to pay people that much money to do it? Ah, jeez, you know, I... <laughs> I, I, I struggle with that, you know, that's that's a waste of taxpayer dollars in some way. And I'll throw out a flip side, just because, again, I am independent on a lot of this stuff. When the EPA passed the law that, uh, the Department of Agriculture passed the law that all 
major forest fires had to be put out within 24 hours. What that did was make it so that the cycle of nature that created and destroyed the underbrush uh, went away. And so now you're seeing when a fire happens, it's a major, major, major fire that takes sometimes weeks to put out and it destroys so much property. If they had just allowed nature to take care of nature, they would have been fine. Why do we burn the beautiful Flint Hills? Because it's an act of nature. But it's not, not one of the most gorgeous. Now we have to do it ourselves. It's gorgeous when you drive through that. I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. It's unbelievable after it's burnt. It's just but incredible. It's, it's some of the most fertile farmers in land in the United States. So, oh, I'll let it go if you need one. But it is absolutely gorgeous, though. The, the sight of those hills being on fire for miles. Like, <laughs> it'll take your breath away if you're driving through that at night. I, I, I love the hills. I've always I I fell in love with them when I was a kid. That's where I will be buried. Before I moved out east. My ashes will be scattered in the flannels. I know exactly where. One thing that I wanted to bring up, kind of circling back to yeah. how he got here, related to Trump specifically, is I know a lot of people have said that he's kind of redefining what it means to be a politician or, you know, to be a president specifically. Sure. But what kind of struck me is that that's, a, that's something that has two big sides to it, both, uh, first of all, in terms of style, like the way we expect a president to speak, you know, what we expect him to say and how we expect him to say it. But then secondly, and this is, I think, the bigger issue is, what actions we expect him to actually take mm -hmm. what we expect him to do or be able to do and I think this kind of transitions to one of the next items on our talking point of you know the way that he's rebranding so to speak his private resort as the southern white house you know which is you know a bit of something that you wouldn't expect a president to do or Truman say did. Truman but did then make key west uh, the southern white house but then what what i think is the more interesting aspect of this is the fact that he's visiting so much, that he's spending so much money, because one of the things that I think everyone expected of Trump is he's going to make sure that all of the books are balanced, that he's yeah. you know not wasting money where it shouldn't be, and now he's already spending money at 12 times sure. the previous rate. Yeah, um, I mean, he's already spent $11 million, uh, on uh, on security and uh, housing, um, in this, in this, in 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 in, in, in context. So? Well, in context, Obama spent about eleven million a year on uh, on security. Yeah, well, um, no. for tra and travel, travel and housing, the no. security. No, 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 no it's about eleven. I look. I, 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 I actually disagree. With you. I, 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 well, I, look I, look I, I, bet, I bet you I, this because is he's already problem. spent that, and it's only been a month. But here's my issue with with it uh, is that. And the reason that it's so much is not only is it is him traveling down to Mar-a-Lago every weekend, which is just ridiculous, but you you having to secure the White House, Trump Tower, and Mar-a-Lago. But my problem with it, on top, or just on the fact that he's spending way too much money, is um, he's making money on it. That's the problem. The government is actually paying Trump, um, the Trump properties, the Trump, yeah, to the uh, hotels for yeah, sure. to the hotels to house, um, you know, all of the security personnel and everybody this, else that travels. This, this is a unique situation. So if yeah, I yeah. Trump, I would absolutely say, listen, stay in my hotel. Let's make it easy. I'll meet with you there. We're already securing the property, etc. I don't know that I have a huge issue with that. And I also know that several presidents 
I mean, Eisenhower did nothing but play golf, and they had to secure all that stuff. Truman turned Key West, literally, there's still a presidential yacht down at Key West, which he played cards on all the time, and would go down there and hang out. Yeah, and, and, and I, don't, I don't have a and problem. And the most I'm crooked not, president really of all time was Lyndon Johnson. And the, three, and the three presidents that, that, that we just mentioned in the last five seconds, uh, Johnson, Truman, and Eisenhower, um, according to a report of 91 historians ranging a political spectrum, were, were all rated in the top ten of best presidents we've ever had. Yeah. Johnson is a, is a question mark. I think he's an interesting one. But he is, he is up there because of the Civil Rights Act that he was able to yep. pass, which were basically Kennedy bills that he just pushed through, which was good. Yeah. And he... <laughs> Ended up being one of the most hated when he left office because sure. of the Vietnam War and decided not to run for oh, a second term. But regardless, he did fulfill Kennedy's vision of the civil rights movement and those kinds of things. Sherman, yeah. I think, by all accounts, should go down as a good president, no doubt about it. Uh, but it, he's not—he's not inventing this. Is he? No, no, no. I don't think he's the first person to do it. And the fact that it's eleven million dollars, like, listen. Go up over time. Yeah, like, he has every right to get. That yeah, but I guess my I problem bet. is eleven million dollars in the first thirty days. I would bet. I would is bet. is what's bothering me. Spend a lot of money. I would bet. So I would bet that that Mario. I'm sure that you saw that that what you, that that you saw something legitimate that that gave prices on what Obama spent. Yeah. The problem with and this goes back to my problem with the media. Mm-hmm. I am sure that Chris and I could equally find something from a yep. reputable source that has a totally different number. Yeah. yeah. And on something yeah. like numbers, numbers shouldn't lie. It's, exactly. And that, to me, is a, is a big problem with how we look at things, is how in, the, how in God's green earth are, can, we, can we get different numbers from reputable sources? Yeah. And that, which, yeah, which that, that is, you know, the, the old saying used to be, men lie, women lie, numbers don't. But you know now you can you can juke a stat to tell whatever story you want to tell, and that's you know like I say at the end of the day for me it's it's not new you know a president you know going to whatever location they feel comfortable at to go and do work. Yeah. My, my I guess my issue is uh, in particularly with Mar-a-Lago is that uh, they're going down there. Is that they're going down there and they're not so frequently. Well, one so frequently, but two, um, they're they're not securing it in the way you would secure things normally for the president. It the resort is still open, and uh, actually membership has doubled. That's, um, that's, that's not a resort, though. Yeah, that is a country yeah. club. That yeah, is, I get. But what I'm saying is, if you're going a, down there and you're doing presidential business and you're sitting. Uh, at a table like this in open air with a hundred other guests discussing presidential business, that's where my problem comes in. I I, I, I agree with that too, though, but I I do believe that the fact that everywhere he goes, all of a sudden you have an enormous protest pop up, I think adds to that number tremendously. So, for example, when Obama would go to Hawaii... You didn't see reports of enormous protests all of a sudden in Hawaii where you had to guarantee his safety and do all these other things and bring yeah. in extra resources and yada. Every single time he goes to Florida, there's an enormous protest yeah. in Florida where you have to bring in all this extra security yeah. to try to prevent some crazy asshole in the crowd <coughs> from trying to shoot him. You know, yeah. and all of a sudden it's like, well, listen, I mean, like, sometimes circumstances are what they are. Yeah. He's not a popular dude. 
No. And I get that, but uh, it doesn't mean he's not the president, and the office of the Secret Service is yeah. there to do nothing but protect the president. No, so absolutely. So they have to spend the resources. Yeah, no, I'm not mad at the the, the resources being spent. It's not, a, it's not the numbers are just aren't you, You're mad numbers. that it's, it, that always, it's almost like a pay-for... It, it's We accuse Hillary of, of pay-for-play. Exactly. Right. And now you have a situation where if you pay $200,000... You can get FaceTime with Trump and while you're at while, while you're at my while you're at the and, and, and yeah, that's, that's my problem. problem. Now is I, that but but is that my question? And, and this is something none of us would know, right? But when you're paying two hundred thousand dollars, is it like when you pay an athlete to give you an autograph and they stand there take a picture with you and you have this exciting story? Or are these are, are the people there because they're so powerful and so so wealthy? Are they getting two hundred thousand dollars to access Trump and say? I would say that's probably that probably it, is closer to the but truth. But at the Clinton administration and the people that they took money from, yeah. it was, one, my problem was that it was global and it was ridiculous where they were getting all kinds sure. of foreign people talking to them, which affects Americans' uh, foreign policy, and I think that's horrible. But then you would just, if you wanted to isolate it down to a local level, take David Katzenberg, who was an enormous Hillary supporter, He's giving her all kinds of money, right and left. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I believe it affected the way the FCC did their job. And he absolutely got special favors for doing that. And that's the way that the system is rigged. Yeah, and and, and I do I do believe so. People t- people knock the Koch brothers all the time. Yeah, no, and I mean, look, huge, I know, grew up across the street from them, and like they're not yeah. good dudes. I mean, you I vote mean, with you, you vote <laughs> you vote with your with your wallets these days, and and those who have bigger wallets have larger access. Uh, but at the same time, uh, being able to go to Mar-a-Lago and uh, get a, like I said, get a handshake and a photo, even a, a five-minute conversation is one thing. When when you have an international incident happening and you don't take that meeting to a secure location, you're still sitting at dinner in an open area allowing people to take pictures with the dude who's carrying the nuclear football. That's a problem <laughs> that's for, for I, me. That's, that's a very fair point, but I also think that you have a million, million incidences of people who have had conversations that they thought were private, not realizing that their live mic was still on. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, that went out. I'm like, well, this, just, this, this, let's go back to one factor that's not getting totally missed. And he's a, he's a smart dude when it comes to the media. Prime Minister Abe from Japan and mm-hmm. him did leave the table and go inside to finish having a discussion sure. about something. They were having a general discussion, and they're kind of like, well, you know, we got... This so is so this, this, this put it in some serious. context. They had some some stuff that was aired out in public, but they also, it is written in notice that they went back inside to have a more secure conversation in the private from the, uh, area. From the- so, you know, it's, it's a little bit of give and take and something like that. He probably shouldn't have said some of the things he said out there because... Obviously, some guy tweeted out that, oh, my God, you know, they wouldn't believe what I just heard, who is no longer a mer- member at Mar-a-Lago. Sure. <laughs> just saying. What do you think? I think um, uh, I, definitely, I definitely understand Mario's concern, yeah. uh, for sure. Uh, yeah, a, when, you're, when, you're, when you have that direct access, and, and, and when it's not, I guess, you know, taking into my analogy of athletes, yeah, you know you're not paying a hundred bucks, which 
almost a lot of us could pay a hundred bucks to yeah, to yeah, shake yeah. hands with Kevin Durant. Yeah. Um, yeah, but Pete Rose autograph for five hundred bucks. <laughs> Pete Rose autograph five hundred bucks. Yeah, but but no, but but only the only the wealthiest people. Yeah, with their interests protected, could go to Trump. Say, I'm going to give you two hundred grand. I want to sit down with you. I want to tell you, I'm giving you this money. And now, when you take money from somebody, yeah. you now automatically owe them something. Um, from you know, from my personal life, um, I'm uh, setting up a setting up a, a real estate investment company. Right. And uh, to get that done, I had to. Reception or REIT or what are you doing? No, we're doing we're doing single assets for now. Okay. Um, uh, but we hope to grow into both uh, get into more of a fund mentality and also uh, get institutional funding to aid that process wow. um, down the road. But for me to do that, I don't have the financial resources to do that. So I found uh, found a partner, and I have. Um, I have you know I have a, a breakdown that that that's good, but he has an enormous amount of say in what projects I take on and what projects I don't. And yeah, yeah. at the end of the day, I can't complain about that because it's it's his it's his, it's his money that's yeah. setting this up. So if if I'm wanting to get involved in something that he says no, he has a say in that. And similarly, if Trump's getting this, if Trump's getting substantial money from people, it concerns me that now in that same transaction. He, they're owed something, right. but as far as using, you know, he, I think, uh, I think he is using, uh, I think he's, I, I think he's done actually a, a reasonably good job. Thank you, of, of, um, and, and I'll give Pence credit too, but Pence terrifies me because as a conservative, <laughs> he's as a conservative. Let me tell you, I that is not what I see the future of, of conservatism being. Um, well, thanks for saying that out loud. I appreciate that. But Pence terrifies me too. <laughs> but. They're doing a good. They're saying the right things they're with the, with international leaders. Um, you know, uh, being Jewish, Israel is near and dear to my heart. Sure. And uh, um, and the way he handled Net- Netanyahu and the settlements, I thought was was absolutely commendable. Um, he said, you know, he he established rapport with Netanyahu, and then said, uh, by the way, the settlements stop. And and Netanyahu, I think, was pretty cool about the whole thing too. And uh, came back and said, "Listen, obviously there was some some problems with the Obama administration, which I think is an understatement <laughs> yeah. to say the very least. Uh, but they know too that Israel definitely knows that there's going to have to be some sort of mediation. But at the same time, when you're constantly under attack, you're constantly in the barrage." You have to be able to defend yourself, and at what point do you draw the line? So I think the settlements are nothing but, in a weird way, a bargaining chip. Yeah. To say, okay, we'll cut off settlements if you stop bombing the living shit out of yeah. us every chance you get, and let's strike a deal. You know, like, in order to have any bargaining power at all, sometimes you have to go a step beyond where you want to go, so that you have room to backtrack to get back to the middle, and I think... In some degree, that's what's going on in Israel, and and he's doing that. That's representative of how they're handling foreign policy in general. Pence going to the, I was shocked today, and I'm not a huge supporter of the EU, um, of, who? of the EU, yeah, European good. Union. Yeah, not not a tremendous supporter. No, um, um, big fan. Really? Well, that's another. That's another topic. Yeah, right? that's, that's another yeah, topic. But regardless of my feelings, Pence going to the EU and saying, "I know what you guys. I know. I know what the international community is saying." Trump knows what the international community is saying. Let me tell you here and now, we are a part. We are dedicated to maintaining the relationships involved in the EU. Right. 
Um, that to me is a powerful statement and one that we have to see the action behind, you know, I think for, for supporters of the EU, EU, myself not included, you'll want to see supporters to believe that sentiment, but they're saying the right things when they're talking to international leaders. Trump's bizarre handshakes notwithstanding. Uh, they're, they're, <laughs> those are a little weird. Those are a little weird, but, a little they're, weird. but they're saying the right things. The NATO question is going to be the most interesting. Yeah. Because they are saying we are absolute supporters of NATO. It's been an alliance that has been, Charles de Gaulle notwithstanding, incredibly fruitful for America over time. We have disproportionately paid, probably. And now that we're asking them to take a certain percentage of their budget and commit it to NATO if they want to keep it as an alliance. This is what they should do. You, in theory, yes. Unless NATO falls apart, which would be far worse. Because Force. those are yes. our traditional allies. Those are the people that we've been able to count on for years. And maybe the fact that we've been overpaying has done us more good than we realize to some degree. To a point. Because I'll tell you this. And everybody knocks on uh, George Bush and going to the UN and the, the junior when he went into Iraq the second time. Actually, that was UN sanctioned. That, he got a UN resolution to do that. Uh, Clinton did not get a UN resolution to go into and bomb the living shit out of Yugoslavia, uh, which we went to war with and people forget in 98. Uh, that was a NATO action entirely. Well, you know, Hillary he, took sniper fire, though. Uh, yeah, he did. She did. And it was horrible. So I'm glad she's alive. But uh, it, was, <laughs> it was nothing but... It's amazing. He, he, I mean, he knew that it would never pass a UN resolution. And so I do find it a little disconcerting when... Liberals in particular, uh, who love the UN and yada yada, <coughs> dog on Republicans for uh, being so unilateral when it was actually Bill Clinton who was the last person to take unilateral action without going to other countries. Both Bushes actually had a UN co- uh, resolution and um, had a at least to some degree a consolidation of countries that were all with them based on the UN. Well, Bob Bush did him right here. as well as anybody has ever done. He did, but I think Bush Jr. did too. If you remember, he had Colin Powell mm-hmm. go to the UN yeah. and give a very impassioned speech mm-hmm. with pictures, and everybody on earth would have thought that there were weapons there, and I still believe there were weapons there. I just well, they went to Syria. They went to Syria. I think that, I've said this for years, I am in the very, very, very very large minority that I think George W. Bush was a fan, was a very underrated president. I agree. And I can, I can go on large, large rants about why I feel that way, but I think history is looking at, I think history is, is making me look like less of a fool than people said when I said that I, I years ago. I mm-hmm. you talk about this the other yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, he, And on that ranking, he moved up five, five spots to 33. Now, granted, they have George H.W. at 20, and I'm thinking, I, don't, I actually, I, I look more favorably. I think it's reversed. Yeah, I would, I would absolutely say that's reversed. I, yeah. I think that, uh, I think that H.W. was, um, had, uh, had problems uh, that, that don't make it to the forefront because he, he was kind of in that era between, oh, and, and you know, he's in the era between Reagan and Clinton. Clinton universally recognized as, as, as a good president. Yep. Yeah. But also Reagan, a beneficiary of the, of the times. Uh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the best thing he did was not screw stuff up. It wasn't that he enacted yeah. things. It was that he didn't screw them up when they happened. A- a- absolutely agreed. Reagan, on the other hand, is probably one of the most controversial presidents. Uh, uh, some people think he's the worst president that ever existed. And actually, if you if you haven't seen the Boondocks making fun of Ronald Reagan, it's the funniest thing oh, yeah. in the it's, world. It's oh, super yeah. hilarious. <laughs> super uh, hilarious. But. 
<coughs> you have you have H.W. sandwiched between what some people believe are two of the stronger presidents, and do, do I don't know. Yeah, not sure that he was as successful, but. Um, but as it relates back to Trump, I, 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 I don't think that a lot of the things he's doing are in the same vein that some of the presidents who have done things the right way are doing. But those, those, the, the, international, the international community, the way that they're handling the international community so mm-hmm. far, I would mm-hmm. say so far so good. Maybe some of my fears yep. are a little bit assaged at this point. I don't know, maybe. Well, I will say, let me jump in. Let me jump in. Let me jump in. This is Oh, yeah, we've been long. Let me jump in because there's uh, so many other points that I that I had down that I want to mention that we're actually not going to be able to get to. Um, I think with any president, uh, history will tell the tale whether or not they were actually a good president Bingo. at the time. It takes a long time. Uh, I, 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 I will I will say this. Um, um, I, I, it, I would be super hard-pressed to uh, find that history will find uh, uh, Donald J. as uh, a good president. Uh, I, I, personally, I'm kind of erring on... On Chris's side, I'm if he makes it out of the first two years, I actually will be pretty surprised. Not gonna happen. Um, not gonna happen. But, but um, you also have to give that time. No, I, and that's what I'm saying. I'm not. I'm not this saying the first thirty look, days of the Trump bomb. Well, well like I say, it's scattered. Yeah, like nothing's in, nothing's impossible. To me. Like nothing's impossible. Look, I if you would have asked me, you know, six months ago, uh, if it was even possible for Donald Trump to get elected, I would have said, you're out of your fucking mind. Are Absolutely. you seriously? Are you out of your mind, but out of your fucking mind. Yeah, out of your yeah, fucking yeah. mind. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I will say this. Um, because, trust me, um, there's going to be uh, many more weeks of uh, talking about Trump uh, on the Loft Party Podcast. Um, like so, material. So, oh, yeah. Like, look, whether you like him or you hate him... Uh, this is uh, rich, rich material that's gonna gonna give us life for quite some time, and I'm okay with that. I think we can all agree. Wait, 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 one sec. Dine here, meetings. I'm about to say, whoever speaks next gets the last word. I think you should get the last word. Okay. All right, Steve, you got it. Dine here. Okay, so when it comes back to Trump, and this kind of goes back to what I said before about him redefining what it means, I really excited to see how he redefines what it means to be the president because the fact that you know he is so blatant so straightforward it's interesting but the you know and I think a little bit welcome like everyone's excited about the fact that he is so you know providing so much yeah. content so much interest but the fact that he's taking these very bold steps it, it raises some red flags at the same time so I, I think that Mario, yeah. you're absolutely right that this is going to be you know, fascinating to see what, what comes of it. Yeah, I mean... I'd like him to see him be a Theodore Roosevelt that is a insanely strong president but within the rules of government. Yes. Instead of what I fear that he's going to be, which is a guy who wants to be a strong leader but goes outside of the boundaries of the institutions. So that's... I mean, I don't know. I mean, right now he seems to be going outside of the boundaries of the institution. I hope that's not the case. Well, so and with, we'll that, and with that, we will Sorry. see what he becomes. 
and like I say, with that, we will see what he becomes. Uh, but we have reached that time that we reach in every podcast uh, where it is time to uh, to end it. And I end all podcasts with the toast that started it all for me. And that is to good times with good people.